0: Choose you this day, whom you will serve. But as for me in my house, me and my house, me and my house. I said, Choose you this day, whom you will serve. But as for me in my house, me and my house, me and my house. Good morning, NetWorld. Thanks for joining me again as we continue in our series titled The Family Bible Revolution, An End Time Message for His Generational Blessing. We left off yesterday talking about the family that eats together, and we were talking about the simplicity that's in Christ. We said, it sounds so good it seems like a dream, but is it? If we think it's complicated, we'll never arrive. It's simplicity of life. It's a Christian culture of relationship by fellowshipping at the table of the Lord and the agape table of the common meal, all the while having real discussions in the doctrine of the apostles with prayer as we meet both at the temple, being the church, and house to house. You see, it's organic, not programmatic. It's life, not works. It's the culture of the Spirit, not the culture of striving and being so busy we put our families to the side to get the work done. It's ministry not work. It's peace, not confusion. It's relationship, not employment. It's when we let the battle be the Lord's and we let him build the church. Matthew sixteen, sixteen through 19, Simon Peter answered and said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. If you read this incorrectly, you might conclude the church is built on Peter. The lesson to learn here is the church is built upon the rock-solid truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. In that name, the gates of hell will not prevail, and we, the saints, have the authority to bind the kingdom of darkness and loose the kingdom of heaven on earth. You see, we're talking about the family who eats together. Well, you know how most will finish that sentence. They say, the family who eats together stays together. But now I want to go into section two about the family who prays together. And you can finish that line, too. Let's go back to Acts 2.42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and prayers. As we have discovered, Acts 2.42 is not talking about some kind of clever planned program they designed for church growth and discipleship. It was simply their everyday lifestyle and culture. It was who they were, how they lived, and what they did. It was how they lived, ate, and breathed, so to speak. Not only that, but the results were gladness, simplicity of heart, praising God, favor, evangelism, church growth, godly fear, and wonders and signs. We also discovered, instead of being four foundational principles, it is actually two, doctrine and fellowship, with fellowship being defined as the breaking of bread and prayers. Acts 2.43 says, Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. We have spoken about doctrine, fellowship, and the breaking of bread. But what about prayer? What does prayer mean within the definition of fellowship? The Living Bible and the New Century Version give some interesting interpretations. Acts 2.42 in the Living Bible, They joined with the other believers in regular attendance at the apostles' teaching sessions and at the communion services and prayer meetings. And then Acts 2.42 in the New Century Version says, they spent their time learning the apostles' teaching, sharing, breaking bread, and praying together. The Living Bible says prayer meetings, and the New Century Version says praying together. In my experience of 35 years, corporate prayer has been one of the weakest and most misunderstood principles of corporate church life. Why? Most likely because it takes some time and effort. If biblical fellowship is defined as the breaking of bread and prayers, then praying within that definition would have to be with a minimum of two or in a prayer meeting of many. So biblical fellowship between two or more would include prayer, and praying with two or more would be called fellowship. Many will turn out for a time of fellowship, especially if there's food, but how many turn out for a prayer meeting? My experience has been very few. Here's a novel idea, What if we include the breaking of bread and prayer together? According to scripture, we could even advertise it as a fellowship meeting. In order to do this effectively, let's answer three questions. First, what is prayer? Second, why pray? And third, how should we pray? Let's define prayer. The Greek word for prayer means prayer to God. The addressing and petitioning of God. The disciples prayed, but when they heard Jesus pray, there was something different. Jesus prayed with authority and faith. It impressed them so much, they asked him to teach them how to pray. Let me read you the story in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend, and go to him at midnight, and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves? For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer him from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, or that really means being imperfect, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The Spirit filled Life Study Bible has an excellent note concerning the Lord's Prayer. It says, Employ the Lord's Prayer daily as an outline for personal worship, intercession, petition, warfare, and praise. An outline, that's a good way to put it. If God knows everything we need, why would He want us to pray? Well, He wants to hear our thoughts about Him, He wants to hear our faith in Him, He wants to hear our trust in Him. He wants to hear our knowledge of his word. He wants to hear the authority we have in Christ. He wants us to speak his word. He wants us to speak our faith. He wants us to speak our trust. He wants us to speak our love for him. He wants us to take our dominion on the earth. He wants us to direct angels to perform his word. He wants us to resist the devil with his word. He wants us to be responsible with what we are responsible for. Because prayer is an authority and a responsibility. Acts 2.42 again. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Do you know who spoke the longest recorded prayer in the New Testament? Here are the facts. The King James Bible Commentary says, An example of how Christ prayed is given in John 17. It's the second longest prayer in the Bible. The longest is found in 1 Kings 8 when Solomon dedicated the temple. So the longest recorded prayer in the New Testament is spoken by Jesus himself. And it just happens to be the second longest recorded prayer in the entire Bible. Wouldn't you love to hear Jesus pray? Obviously, his disciples were impressed. And the Bible Knowledge Commentary says Jesus prayed... At every major crisis point in his life, he prayed at the time of his baptism and at the time of the choosing of his disciples. He was often alone praying and also prayed with others around. He prayed for Simon and he prayed in the garden before his betrayal. He even prayed on the cross. And one of his disciples, impressed with Jesus's life of prayer, asked Jesus to teach them to pray. Just think, the longest recorded prayer we have in the New Testament is by Jesus himself. I think we should take note. I think we should compare it with his instructions that we call the Lord's Prayer. Let's also see if we hear what he thinks about God. Is it a prayer of faith? Can we hear his trust in God? Does he know the word? Does he speak the word? Is there any authority and dominion expressed? Is he resisting the devil? And is there any praise and love spoken to God? Or, on the other hand, are there any expressions such as, Woe is me, life's a bummer, complaining, blame, accusations, lack of trust, worry, fear, stress, emotional instability, what am I going to do? I'm pulling my hair out and I just want to die. Huh. In this, the longest New Testament recorded prayer, Jesus prays for three things He prays for himself, his disciples, and all believers. The longest prayer, In the New Testament is where Christ prays for himself, his disciples, and all believers in John chapter 17. We start at verse 1. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may also glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. And then he begins to pray for his disciples in verse 6. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now, I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. How can time be up so fast? That's all the time we have today. I really look forward to being with you in my next netcast. So put it on your calendar. Make sure your clock is set and tune in as we continue in establishing the Family Bible Revolution, an end-time message for his generational blessing. I call you blessed. You have been listening to the Choose You Netcast with Jim Langlois. If you have enjoyed this program, you can find out more about Jim Langlois Ministries on the Masters House website at tmhnow.org. That's tmhnow.org. On the media tab, you can listen to many more messages, subscribe to my daily devotional emails, and follow the link to my blog site.